0: Today we're going to talk about the mercy of God. I hope that you've listened to the songs that have been very carefully chosen. Thank you, uh, Jana, so much for leading us in worship. We're going to talk about God's great uh, mercy. Uh, Someone described grace as God giving us what we don't deserve, but mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We do deserve wrath. We do deserve punishment, chastisement, but Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he bore all of that sorrow and all of that blame and all of that guilt that was due us, and he bore it upon his body on the tree. That great uh, theological doctrine called propitiation, maybe you've read that in the Bible. It is a very biblical word. It means that God pours out his wrath and he pours out his judgment and his justice on Jesus so that you and I, could go to heaven when we die. Isn't that an amazing truth? That it really is the gospel of Jesus. Napoleon was great leader, great emperor, as you know, in France. And he had a soldier who had committed a crime, not just a crime worthy of death, but he did the same crime twice. And so Napoleon, the general said, let him be executed. And his mom came to the emperor and made a very heartfelt plea and said, sir, I... I beg you that you would spare my son's life. I, I don't ask for justice. I ask for mercy. Napoleon replied, but your son does not deserve mercy. To which the mom said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And Napoleon was so moved by this mother's intercession that he granted the pardon for this twice-criminal. Whenever I think about mercy, my heart and mind always go to the cross of Christ, and today we're going to to focus on that, but we're also in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 9, I want you to turn in your Bibles if you have your Bible with you, and I really hope you do. And the reason I say that is because there's a little theological exercise we're going to do in the Bible from verses 16 through 38. I'll read the text in a moment, and every time I read the word mercy, I want you to underline that word. You say, well, that's kind of hard to do with my Bible app. And that's why I said, you know, it, it's probably a good idea to bring your, bring your Bible to, to church. I don't know if you were here last week, but I want to do this again. Does that mean anything to anybody here today? Uh, I am a man under authority. I'm under the authority of God and His Word, and I want to preach His message to you today. So seven times you should circle uh, the word rakum or rakam or chesed. There are three Hebrew words that we use to, to translate, really we translate them all mercy. Mercy, mercy's merciful. So each time when we read the text today, when you see that word mercy, why don't you underline it, and you'll understand better why I've entitled the whole sermon, God's Abundant Mercy, and also why we are focusing on God's great mercy today here uh, in our church. So let me pray for you before we read the word, If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, let me go to the Lord in prayer with you and intercede on your behalf and mine. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this day, for the privilege it is of being in a great country like we are in, the freedoms, Lord, that we have. And God, we're so very, very grateful today. Let it be reverberated throughout the heavens that there are a people on this earth that are eternally grateful for a benevolent, gracious God full of mercy full of grace, full of compassion. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ we have been liberated. In Christ, all of our shame and our guilt and the sins that we have committed, been born in the body of the Savior, nailed to the cross, and then raised from the dead on the third day. And, oh, Lord, all you tell us to do is believe on him, trust in him, and all of our sins are forgiven, and we can live an abundant life here on this earth, but also and eternal life in heaven. God, I ask you, Lord, to speak to people's hearts today. Lord, surely with this many people in one building and so many others watching and and listening through the live stream, I I pray that wherever those people may be, God, driving along the interstate or maybe in another country in another state, would you just speak to them, Lord, and speak to us that we would encounter the very mercy of God today. Lord, may have encouraged people today Some come, Lord, very tainted, very sinful today, and they think, well, you know, surely God can't forgive me, or God, surely he's just going to punish me, and I'm just going to get what I deserve. God, today, I pray that that person, whoever she may be, or whoever he may be, they may say, oh, but thank you, God, that in you I find grace, and in you, God, I find mercy. Please forgive me, oh God, and help me, Lord Jesus, to go and sin no more. Thank you again for your word. We're just so excited, God, to be able to read it, to be able to preach it. And then, Lord, we pray that we would be able to go out and live it in this world in which you have placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just keep in mind there there's three uh, Hebrew words. The first one you'll see it in verse 17, rakam, and then verse 19, rakum, and then in verse 31 you'll see chesed. Now, each one of those words has a different shade of meaning to it. For, for example, the first one, would, it's the only time it's used in the Bible. This Hebrew word is always referring to God, okay? It just refers to Him, and it's His great mercy, that preeminent mercy that the Creator has upon the creation. Uh, the second Hebrew word, it's, it's interesting because in verse 19, when it's used in the first time, this refers to the—check this out, church— to the mercy that a mom has for her baby in the womb. Now, isn't that special? Isn't that sweet that a mom that loves her baby and and the mercy and the care and the nurturing that she will give to that baby. And and so that rakam, that that word refers to the mercy of, of a mom. And it's also, of course, exponentially applies to the mercy that God has upon us as his children. But the last one. The last one is fascinating to me, verse 31. It's used a few times, but in verse 31, it is the Hebrew word kessed, and it's translated just simply mercy or merciful. And, but, but it's an interesting word. Whenever you see the word kessed, C-H-E-C-E-D, always think about this word covenant. It's God's covenant that he makes with his people that in his mercy, he has cut a covenant with us that if we will surrender to Him and love Him and just believe on Him, that He makes a covenant with us, that He will forgive us, He will walk with us, He will will bless us. And so when you see that word kesed, it oftentimes is referred to in the Bible as loving kindness. And so it's the mercy of God. Now, there's another Hebrew word I want to give to you. It's the word rab or rob. It's R-A-B. Four times in this one text it's going to be used, like in verse... 17 and 19, you, you'll see it when God's mercy is described. This, this adjective, rob, is used, R-A-B. And it means literally abundant and 10,000 times 10,000. I, mean, I know it's a lot packed into one little bitty Hebrew word, but this word is used oftentimes in this Hebrew text to describe the mercy of God as, as abundant, as overflowing 10,000 times 10,000. And so we'll read the, the text today, and we'll, we'll do a little bit of an in-depth study. It can't be too in-depth because we've got my word how many verses we got? 16 through 38. Is that right? Yes, that's right. You so said you should know you wrote the sermon. I did, and I it is 16 through 38. And so um, any more words, preliminary words before we we read the text? Let me think. <laughs> Yeah, so when we read it, just be patient and bear with me because I'll just read it and make comments. This is In homiletics, this is called a homily. This is where I'll just read the text and make a few comments on the text, and then toward the end, we'll make a couple points of application, and then we will, we, we will be dismissed. All right, so here we go. Verse 16, I'm, I just want to make sure you're there and you're listening. Can I just say, somebody say, amen? We're, we're here. Okay, good, good. You are, you are alive. There's a pulse. Amen. You're out there, and I'm glad. So it says, and you know, the context is very, it's always important. When you look at hermeneutics, when you look at the Bible and the art of interpretation, you always got to understand the context Uh, in which the statements were given. This is a prayer. By the way, if you're interested, uh, and some of you, I know you are, you you like little tidbits like this, the longest prayer in the entire Bible is this. Beginning in verse 5 and going through verse 38, the longest prayer in all the Word of God is Nehemiah 9, verse 5 through 38. You say, what what happened to verses 5 through 16? We looked at it last week. And so today we're going to look at verses 16 through verse 38 And and again, now whenever I say that word mercy or merciful, mercies, just go ahead and underline it, and let it let it just be accentuated in your mind and in your heart. Because some of you today, in the midst of all the theology and the Hebrew and the interpretation, the most important thing today is that God is here and God loves you, and God has an amazing plan for your life. But God is so just and He's so holy. Uh, He cannot tolerate sin. Sin cannot enter into the very pristine, majestic presence of God. And so you and I, we we have to have help. We have to have somebody to lift us up, And, and, and that person is Jesus. And he lifts us up through his mercy and grace into the very presence of God so that we can live the fullness of life. So it says, but they and our fathers acted proudly. Now in this prayer, the priests are praying, the Levites are praying this prayer. They have recounted the blessings of God, especially in the choosing of Abraham, the choosing of Moses, and in the great Exodus. And yet, it, there's this conjunction, and, and it all just kind of turns when it says, but. However, nevertheless, our fathers acted. Now, he's going to describe the sins of Israel when they began to meander and wander around in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Right? Joshua and Caleb were like, man, let's go in. Let's take the promised land. And yet the 10 spies of the 12 said, man, we can't do that. We we are just like little grasshoppers in their eyes. The the are there, the giants of the land are there. And so because of disobedience and disbelief and proud, recalcitrant spirits, God chastised them. Yea, God cursed them. And for 40 years, they could not gain any traction. They could not move into the promised land because of their egregious sins against God. But they acted proudly. They hardened their necks. They did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey you, God. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they, now adding to the, uh, the, the pride and the arrogance and the recalcitrant spirit, they, they hardened their necks. They stiffened their necks and they were like, we know more than you do, God. And yes, thank you for getting us out of Egypt, but how dare you give us all these laws and commandments? And so you, you sense this welling up within in the people of God, this, this turning away from the God who birthed them, the God who sustained them. It's just human nature, right? We think we know better than God and we're going to figure it all out and we're going to leave God in our dust. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. That leader in Numbers 4.14, or 14.4, it says that they were, they were like, as for this Moses guy, who, we don't really know about him anymore. We, we want to go back to Egypt. And we want to go back to the way that it was, the good old days, the glory days. And so they were so disobedient to God and they so rejected the leader that God had given them that they just basically spit in the face of God and said, God, we know better than you do. Take us back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the audacity of God's very people saying, we know better than you, take us back to Egypt. But look at this verse, but, isn't that amazing? But you are God. You're ready to pardon. You're gracious and? Thank you, Patrick. You're, you're with me. Amen. Anybody else? Merciful. Merciful. Raccoon. Merciful. Only time. Only time you'll see this verse, this word, the Hebrew word used in the word of God, it always refers, it's an adjective describing the, the God, okay? God, you're merciful, you're slow to anger. Rob, rab, abundant in Chesed. And you did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves, do y'all remember that story? I mean, remember, this is the children of Israel. They, they're remembering th- their past. And by the way, it's always good to remember your past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and take your children, your posterity, take them through that so that they can relive it and understand it. And so that they never forget, they always remember the goodness of God. And, and they said, but we, we made a calf. We took our golden ear rings, remember Aaron and the gang, and they molted it together and they created a calf. And they said, okay, all Israel, let's just bow down to this calf because this calf led us out of Egypt. Not God, certainly not Moses, but this calf. And you go, my word, I mean, how idiotic can you get How in the world would Israel want to worship a molded calf and break one of the fundamental laws of the Decalogue? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven images. And yet there they are in Exodus 32, making a calf. And they said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And they worked great provocations. That word provocations, by the way, means to abuse. Isn't that tough? They abused God. They provoked God. And they just said, God, we, we know better than you do. But look at here, here it is again, verse 19. Yet, however, nevertheless, in your rob, your rab, R-A-B, Rakum, in your mercies that, like a mom, has for her baby in the womb. God, that's, that's just who you are. You, You're so merciful. You did not forsake us in the wilderness. Even though we sinned against you, God, even though we were worshiping a calf, even though we're ready to pin Moses up against some rock somewhere and kill that joker, I mean, yet, God, you were kind to us, and you gave us a pillar of the cloud that did not depart from us by day, and the same pillar of the cloud or, or on the road by night, by fire, to show us light and the way that we should go. Remember this? This is all this prayer, by the way. This is 440 or 430 uh, B.C. These things happened, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before, and yet they are recounting them. They are remembering them. Why? Because they're in a tough way. Uh, Israel in 430 B.C., I mean, they are under the very mighty hand of Artaxerxes, the king of the Medes and the Persians, and they, they are foreigners, even though they're back in their homeland. They're, they just now rebuilt the temple. They just now completed the wall around Jerusalem. But they are under, they are subservient. They are vassals. They are underneath the firm fist and the imprint of Artaxerxes. And they are like, God, how did we get here? How did we get in such a mess? And, oh, I know how we got here. The same way our forefathers got to where they got. You told us what to do. We blatantly disobeyed you, and we now reap what we have sown. But God, you gave us your good spirit. And I love this, by the way. I love this terminology, this phraseology here. He says, these Levites are just praying, pouring out their heart to God. God, you gave us your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth. Did y'all catch that right there? God's given spiritual provision through the Holy Spirit, and he's giving physical sustenance through the very food, the manna in their mouth, and you gave them water, God, for their thirst. Forty years, right? Forty years was the curse. I mean, the curse of God, God cursed the people. He's like, Moses, you lost your cool. You people, you're full of pride and arrogance, and so the hand and the favor of God has withdrawn from his people, and I'm going to protect you. And I'm not letting anything happen to you, but this this group's got to die out before the new group goes into the promised land. And for 40 years... You know, I sustained them in the wilderness. You didn't lack anything. Have you ever seen this verse before? You're talking about their wardrobe, their clothing did not wear out. They wore the same pair of socks and underwear and shirts and robes for 40 years. Man, didn't they stink? I don't know, but the fabric didn't wear out. And their feet did not encounter blisters for 40 years. Even God, in his punishment, God continued to sustain them and, and give them grace. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's mercy. Moreover, God, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. And so what I'm about to read for you now is the first, and you, you can go back in, in the first uh, few books in the Old Testament, you can read about these. In Exodus, you can read about how, numbers how they took over the land of Sihon and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. These, these were the first... Military campaigns of the children of Israel, even though, even though they were just very recalcitrant and stubborn toward God, God would say, I'm, oh, my word. You know, and God was even one time like, let me, let me just destroy them, Moses, and I'll just start over with you. Remember that? And Moses was like, oh, God, please don't. Please have mercy on them. God, please have mercy on us. And so God said, okay, I'll have mercy on them. And he does, and he sustains them. And he gives them time after time and opportunity after opportunity. And he says, you have multiplied us, our children, as the stars of heaven. And you brought us into the land in which you told our fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites, remember this now, Joshua, They Jericho... Six times, six days, seven times on the seventh day. And the walls, anybody remember? They came tumbling down. And God, you did all of that. And you gave us their kings and, and the people of the land that they, God, they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land. And you, you remember some of these guys, right? Remember Gideon, Othniel, Ehud? Remember Deborah? Remember these judges that God gave them? And they went in and they possessed houses full of all goods and cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and they were filled. And here's a harbinger of things to come. They grew fat. They were complacent. They were apathetic. They believed that it was because of them and their greatness and their power that they were able to accomplish such great military feats, and yet they grew fat, and that is a harbinger of things to come because once you grow fat and begin to think delight in yourselves and and, and, and how good we are, then we forget the goodness of God, okay? Nevertheless, in light of all of God's blessings— They were disobedient and rebelled against you. They cast your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets. If I had time, I could take you to Kings where um, Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel slew, I mean, just killed like 850 of God's prophets. And Elijah's like, God, I'm the only one left. Lord, please, what is going on? And this is the king of Israel and his wife. And they are massacring, they're annihilating the prophets of God. Those prophets that testified to them, turn to yourself, and they worked great provocations. Again, abuses. Okay, because of that, God, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard them from heaven. Here it is. And according to your rab, what's the next word? Mercies. mercies. Uh, according to your mercies, you gave them deliverers. And here are these deliverers that I mentioned a moment ago, Ehud and Deborah and Othniel and those Gideon guys. And they saved them from the hand of their enemies. But, <laughs> that doesn't sound like us. Does this not sound like us? God blesses us and we get fat and happy and proud and say, well, look what I have done. And we start to walk away from God and God says, wait just, 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 just a minute. And God chastises us and we're like, oh, that's right. God, it wasn't me after all. Please forgive me. But after they had rest, they did it again. They did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Remember this? Not only the skirmishes they had in the In the promised land, for example, the Philistines who would overpower them. But you think about uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and now the Medes and the Persians. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them because of your... Anybody? Your mercies, God. This is why I entitled this whole sermon, this prayer... God's abundant, overflowing, gracious, magnanimous, mercy of God, the mercy of God, the mercy of God. And you testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. And God would send good prophets, right? He would send men of God who would tell them, don't go that path, and yet they would reject God, reject the man of God, and they would act proud, and they did not heed your commandments, and they sinned against your judgments, which on these judgments, if a man just does the judgment and the commandment of God, he will be blessed. He shall live by them. But they shrugged their shoulders. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute, because i got a modern-day analogy for you. So, we're talking about stiff necks, shrugged shoulders. I mean, these, these proud spirits. It's kind of like, teenagers, y'all bear with me just a minute. I know y'all get, a, y'all get a bad rap. You deserve some of it, but just bear with me for a moment. If you have teenagers in your house and you say to them, hey, honey, son, sir, go clean your room, please. You, 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 you broke like 10 glasses. I don't know what you were doing in there, but there's glass. There's shards of glass all over your room. And so as your dad and as your mom who birthed you into this world, We give you the kind command to go and clean your room. And your daughter and your son say no. And they just, they stiffen their neck and they. Y'all ever seen that happen? The shoulders go. Yeah. Some of you, your blood pressure's going up. You're just like, I'm going to lay hands on him. I'm, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm just going, I'm going to give him a good whooping. That's what, you know. <laughs> I'm going to ground her for forever. And they just shrug. Their sh- now, listen, are the commands, parents, that you're given, are they grievous? Are they mean? What's so, what's so harmful about saying, son, clean your room, and by the way, clean up the glass, because if you don't clean up the glass, you're going to stick glass through your foot. You're going to have multiple uh, lacerations, and you're going to have to go and, and have sutures and stitches. And all. and I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you that I'm telling you this because I, I love you. And, and magnetize that exponentially over God's commandments. And God tells us, don't commit adultery. Stay with your husband. Stay with your wife, trust me, I know better. The grass is not greener on that side. And by the way, there's a sewage over, that's why it's green for just a little bit. <laughs> uh, honor me with your tithes and your offerings. And when the house of God is open, go. And pray to me and worship me with worship me with with your people and, and but I don't have time for that god and I certainly don't have money to give you and god's like no 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 trust trust me just trust me because what i can do with What I can do for you with 90% will will just blow you away, and I will protect you, and I will guard you. And so you see the commandments of God, they're not grievous, they're they're not overbearing. In fact, we're, we're told over and over the commands of God are given us to protect the people of God because God loves us so much. And somehow in religion and Pharisaism, we've we've twisted the commands and made them like these these rules and these regulations. And and, and we get all all high and mighty and and, and we get very judgmental and, and, and we just begin to miss, miss God, miss God's heart, miss God's intention that he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Yet for many years, how'd you do this, God? Why would you do this? You had patience with them. And you testified against them by your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Uh, the, land, the peoples of the lands, uh, that would be the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Nevertheless, in your great, anybody? Mercy. Mercy. I like the seventh time, sixth or seventh time. And great, Rab, R-A-B. Remember 10,000 times 10,000, prodigious, large, huge. that's, That's God's great mercy. You did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. Why? Because you are God, you are gracious. And now watch this before you go to the next verse. Rakam is used in the first part of the verse, but Kesed is used in the second part. You say, but that's just two English words. What's going on here? Well, the writer here is is cluing us in. Nehemiah is cluing us in on something here that that there's a nuance here. There's a beauty here. There's a merciful God who makes covenant with his people. And he does that because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And I will be your God and you will be my people and Your God and you're gracious and you're merciful. Verse 32 says, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you. Now, one writer I read in my study this week, he said, Dr. Yamuchi, he said, at this point, that the history turns to supplication for the present. The history and the past and the lessons learned in the past, there's a transition verse. This is the verse, and now it moves into a supplication and a petition for the present, for the 5th century Jews, the Israelites in Jerusalem under Artaxerxes. Lord, do not let the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, okay, you with me? Us, our king's God, our princes, our priests, and our prophets, our fathers and on all of your people, God, we've been dealing with this from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day: Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, Shalmaneser the Fifth, Sargon the Second, Ashurbanipal. All of these kings of the Assyrians, God. We know who they are, God. You, they, they punished us. They pressed us down because of our stiff necks and shrugged shoulders and stubborn spirits. God, you rose those kings up and you used them to chastise us, just like Nebuchadnezzar and, and Darius and Cyprus. You used all these kings, God, And you use them because they're like pawns in your hand. The the heart of the king is, is like a river of channel, and God turns it wherever He wishes. Let me tell you something, friend. Our God is an awesome God. He controls all the nations and all the kings of the world, and He will move them. He will move them for good or for ill towards His people. He just will. That's how He is. He's just that awesome, He's that powerful. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, God, but we have done very, very wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law. From the politician in the White House to the preacher in the church house, God, we have turned our backs on you. And God, we've got what we deserve. Nor have we heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things, God, that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them. I have to be honest, when I read that, I thought of our country. I thought of America. You're talking about a bountiful, large, blessed, rich land. Is there, has there ever been a nation? so enormously blessed from border to border than these United States of America? Let me just give the answer to that question. No, no. God shed his grace on thee. Yes, he has. And how many times have we said, yeah, but, and then we turn and we drift away from God. Listen, I I know this text was not written to you, but this text was written for you. Yeah, but that's just the Bible, and that applies to... Oh, time out. Yeah. That, that wasn't written to you. I agree with that. But God in his sovereignty has preserved it so it could be written for you and me. See, that's why I've taken up your time this morning. That's why I've taken your precious time and given you the Word of God the best I can so that you would know God more Fully and you would appreciate him, and, and you would see yourself reflected in the mirror of Israel, and you would say, God, thank you for your mercy, and Lord, I'm sorry. So here we are, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, God, and we're servants in it. We're servants to Artaxerxes And yet we should have our own king, and we should have our own princes and priests and prophets. God, but we don't, because we are under the authority of others who have pressed us down. And, Lord, only people we have to blame is ourselves. And our land, it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us. Look at verse 37, church. And all of this, God, is because of our sins, right? Right? Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle and at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. Final verse. And because of all of this, we, the Levites in 430 B.C. in Jerusalem, our forefathers have come out of Babylonians 70 years of captivity. But we today, we make a covenant. We cut a covenant and we write it out today before you, God, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, and we seal it, and we say, this day, God, we are your people. We are recommitting our lives to you, O oh God, and we want to keep your laws and your commandments. See, that's, that's how Nehemiah 9 ends. The revival at the Watergate begins in 8.1, and it lasts these seven days through the Feast of Tabernacles, and then it culminates in all the people coming together, the politicians and the preachers— They come together, they agree on this one thing, that we have forgotten God, we need God, we're going back to God, and God, here we are. What if we were to do that as a nation? My, my, my. Wouldn't that be amazing? Politicians and preachers, they can't agree on anything. It's the funniest thing, it's the craziest thing. And yet we have so much more in common than we do that separate us. Two things I want you to take away from this uh, text today. Number one, God is holy and just, and God is merciful. You say, that's like four things, but no, it's just one thing. God is holy and just, and God is merciful, okay? Number two, you and I are sinful, and we need God's forgiveness. And those are my two points. And you say, those are the fastest two points, Brother Danny, you have ever, ever shared in your ministry, and you would be right. So President Calvin Coolidge, um, true story, was in a hotel, and he was robbed. A burglar got past the Secret Service, slipped through the hotel room, and Calvin Coolidge, he, he, this, this, this burglar, began to steal. And the president said, excuse me, son, and the boy just, he just startled him. And he said, please don't take that gold chain because that's very important to me. So the burglar put the gold chain down, and so the burglar then grabbed the, the president of the United States' wallet. And, and Calvin Coolidge says, Sir, listen, how much, how much money do I have in there? And the burglar says, You got $32. And Calvin Coolidge says, i tell you what, I give you the $32. You just give my wallet back to me. And he did. And then what happens next is mercy. The president of the United States says, son, what are you doing? And he said, well, sir, I'm broke. I'm a college student, and I don't have money to pay my hotel bill, and so I'm robbing you. And he goes, okay, I get that. You, you've robbed me of $32. Do you know who I am? <laughs> he said, young man, let me, let, me, let me encourage you with this. You take the money as a loan, and I want you to pay me back one day, and by the way, go out the same way you came in, or the Secret Service will have your hide, young man. You with me? And he did, and by the way, that young man did pay back the president of the United States, those $32. What if you were the president? What would you have done? (laughs) You'd be blowing the whistle, you'd be throwing things at him, You'd you'd be laying hands on him. And I, I tell you guys, i shared share this story with you out of conviction. I don't know what I would have done. But the president had the wherewithal to extend mercy and Napoleonic, if you will, if you remember the first part of the sermon, grace and mercy instead of wrath and chastisement. So I don't know what God has said to you through this story, this, this true story, this Levitical priestly prayer, but there's just so much there. There's so much doctrine and and, and theology, but I I hope more than anything, this is what you take away. You take that elderly man crafting that cross, and you have Peter Furler and the Newsboys saying, The cross has the final word. Evil may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. Let me close my sermon with a true story. I think it was three, three weeks ago, my son, my, my middle child, Bryant, he's a, he's a pastor, he's a preacher uh, up in Dallas, and he He'll send me these texts, and he'll go, Oh, Dad, this song is amazing. You need to listen to this song and download it now. And, and I usually do. And, and Claudia, I usually send those to you. I mean, that's just how, how we roll. Claudia likes good Christian music, and I'm sure Mike does too. But Claudia, I send them to her, and she goes, Thank you, Pastor, I'm going to download this. Well, Brian does this to me, and I'm I'm, I'm and I'm driving. And I look down at my phone and say, oh, that's Brian's got another song. And I pull up where I normally park and I get out and, and three weeks ago on a Sunday, like every Sunday, I'm, I'm, and I'm running, I'm ready to go. I'm preaching, I'm praying, I'm excited. And I go into the, the office, but right before I go into the office, on my radio, XM radio, it says, there's this song playing. And I'm going, wow, that is an amazing song. And I just stop and I just, I just listen to it and it's, cross has the final word. I just keep listening. I said, man, that's good. And so I, I, I run into the, to the office, and I said, I need to tell Brian about this song. <laughs> I, I need to text him and tell him there's a new song by Newsboys brought old Peter Furler back, and it is amazing. And so I go to text Brian, and I go, wait a minute. <laughs> it's the same song he just texted me. Same song. And I just kind of chuckled. Then I was like, God is so kind, isn't he? God is so sweet. God loves his kids. God takes care of his children. If you're here today and you'd say, I I don't know this God. I really don't. All I know is there's a deity up there somewhere, and he's he's got a laser beam in one hand, and he's got a hammer in another, and he's just waiting on me as soon as I mess up, he's going to pulverize me, he's going to obliterate me, and it's going to be the end of me. And I just want to tell you something, you don't know our God. Even in the Old Testament. And Marcion, the heretic in the first century, said the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Well, he was a heretic. It's the same God. Yahweh is gracious and merciful and kind, abundant and abundant, abundant, full of mercy. And so what, what the issue is, it's not God's mean, vengeful, wrathful God, it's not that at all. It's that God is holy and God is just, and you are a sinner. And you need his forgiveness. You need his mercy. You need to, you need to do what every follower of Christ has done at point, one point in their life or another, where they say, God, they are not the problem. My parents aren't the problem. My teachers aren't the problem. My society is not the problem. God, I'm the problem. I AM THE PROBLEM, AND LORD GOD, PLEASE FORGIVE ME. ME, O GOD. IT'S ME, O GOD, STANDING IN THE NEED OF PRAYER. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a grand promise. There's somebody here today. I don't know who your, what your name is, sir, but you think the world is against you, and you think, the, you think the world owes you, and everybody's the problem, but you need to look in the mirror because you are the problem. And you need to say, God, I'm sorry. Have mercy upon my soul. And that, that one phrase will save your life it will save your soul it's going to save your marriage it's going to save your family because you you heard it for the very first time and you're going to look in the mirror and go oh god it's me forgive me oh jesus i am so sorry take this wretched heart of stone replace it with a heart of flesh forgive me oh god of my sins i'm so sorry and lady i could say the same for you you got this Ship this boulder on your shoulders, and everybody's the problem. Everybody's to blame, but you're the problem. And you would say, God, please forgive me, and I receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I bow before Him of my own volition, and I gladly receive His mercy and His kindness and His grace, and I want to be born again by the Spirit of God. Oh, I invite you to do that today. Others of you are here today, and man, this Lone Ranger of Christianity is just not cutting it. You, you, need, you need a church, you need a, not this church. Mercy, please find some place that you can get involved and you can do life with people and you can be blessed and you can be a blessing and, and you can march on this journey toward Christ and toward heaven. Let, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you in your walk with him today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it's rich, it's true, and I thank you for it. And I pray now as we conclude our day today, God, this day goes so fast and so quick. And yet, Lord, it's, a, it's your day. And, and we're just asking, Lord, for you to honor the preaching of your word and honor by your spirit, convict people of sin and draw them, God, close to you. And may there be abundance, Lord. May there be a, a rab of rakum today, God. May there be an overflowing of mercy toward all of us that we would say, Lord, forgive me. I'm not responsible for her. (laughs) I'm not responsible for him. I'm responsible for me. So, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. God, do a work in our church. And, Lord, as we begin, as we prepare our hearts for 40 days of prayer and fasting, and, Lord, as we kick this off in just a few days, Lord, we are... We're asking you, Lord, to do a great work among us, O oh God. God, forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our stiff-necked and shrugged shoulders and recalcitrant spirits. We, all of us got it, Lord, we got that. We, we know we are sinful, God, we know we need you. We need your mercy. Our nation needs you, God. Lord, our president needs you. Our senate needs you. Lord, we, we are a needy people, so Lord, help us to turn our hearts to you, the one true living God, who birthed us, created us, sustains us, the providential sovereign God who died for us, the eternally blessed God, as Romans 9 says, Christ, the eternally blessed God. Would you forgive us and do a work in our lives or in our church, oh God, I'm praying. Lord, I'm going to be joining hundreds of people praying and fasting for the church of God that meets at 10,500 Jollyville for us, oh God that we would be a radiant church. Lord, we'd be a forgiving bunch. Lord, we'd be a giving bunch. Lord, we'd be a going bunch. Lord, I'm praying all those things for us. May you have your way, God, and your will in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I I, I appreciate you, and I'm asking you to stand. And we're gonna have our invitation. We'll have the altar open for a few minutes if you wanna come and just kneel and pray or speak to a pastor. Yes, we're going to have some we got lots of pastors on vacation today and God bless them They need it and we got pastors on mission trips today And we got deacons and we got people getting in holidays and vacations and that's okay And I'm glad I'm about to take one myself. Amen So if you're a deacon or a counselor type and you want to help us just kind of make yourselves available like over here This is going to be empty and I'm going to go hang out over here And we just want to pray with you and encourage you so God bless you as you come